There are so many things in life that the, the phrase ignorance is bliss seems to apply really well for, doesn't it? In a couple of weeks, I'm actually going to go camping with a few of the guys from the church. It's going to be a bit of a spiritual weekend. They may not know that yet. It's just a camping trip for them, but I've got some other things going on. But we're going to leave from my parents' cottage in Perry Sound, and we're going to go across the lake and down one arm of the bay where I know it's all crown land, and so we can go and camp there. We're going to go up on a Friday, and from there we're going to go to the dock. We're going to pack everything in the boat. Maybe we'll have some supper, and maybe we'll even jump in the lake. Yes, late September, we'll try to go for a swim. Here's the thing, though. A couple weeks ago, or a couple months ago, I, I posted something briefly. You may have saw it. Something happened at my parents' cottage on the dock that has now forever kind of given me some jitters when I go swimming. You see, when I was up there in June, I went down in the late afternoon. I thought I'd just enjoy the sunset, and, and, and it's a beautiful place. I know that there's snapping turtles there. I know that there are wolf spiders that get to be about two to three inches big underneath the dock. But when I went down on the cement dock that connects to the wooden part of the dock, there were two enormously large water snakes. Now, I know that they were big because later on, I went down with my dad and we actually measured the area where one of them was, was laid out, sprawled out completely. It was over three feet. These are big northern water snakes. Now, I, I don't have a fear of snakes. I, I know that they're around in the area, but you know what? Now that I've seen them on that dock, when I go up there, I'm not going to forget that they're there. In fact, I'm probably I'm going to be wondering where they're lurking because obviously they've made a home there at the deck. Before June, I was, I was happy in my ignorance. I didn't know they were there. But now, knowing that they're there, it's changed everything, hasn't it? What about chocolate? That's my experience. What about chocolate? Did you know that the USDA, the United States uh, Food and Drug Administration, has done umpteen tests, and they say they can guarantee that within any one chocolate bar, there's going to be eight to nine pieces of insects. Next time you take a chocolate bar, you're going to think twice, right? Well, how about tonight when you lay your head down on your pillow? Do you, did you know that there are literally millions of dead bugs in your pillow? You ever wonder why you wake up in the morning, your head's a little fuzzy? Often that's because all of these dead bodies, the, the waste and feces from all of these dust mites have accumulated over the years, and they get right down into the pile, so it's really impossible to get them out. So now I know that tonight... As you put your head down in your bed, some of you are going to say, Pastor, I, I wish I didn't hear that sermon. <laughs> I, I know that they're there now. I don't have peace of mind. I'm going to have to get a new pillow. I was blissfully ignorant before I heard him speak on that. Here's the thing, though. You may not have worried about that reality. You may not have worried about that thing before you knew it was there. But it doesn't change the truth, does it? It, it doesn't change the reality of it. Ignorance can be bliss for kids when you take them on a, a wonderful Christmas holiday to a hot destination, and they have all of these wonderful memories as they grow up, but they never knew that you couldn't afford it. <laughs> for mom and dad who get the visa bill coming in the next month, it, it affects the way you understand and enjoy it, right? Ignorance can be bliss 
when you're out and you take a second portion of your favorite dessert, thinking that it's only 100 calories, not knowing that it's 500 calories. You may not know about something, and in your ignorance not have to worry about it, but that doesn't change the reality of what's going on, the situation. And just because you don't know about something doesn't absolve you of the consequences, does it? You still have to deal with that reality. You still have to real, deal with the reality. You just had a thousand calories of chocolate cake. So you're going to have to go out for an extra long walk now. So just because you didn't know about it doesn't absolve you of those consequences. Now this idea that even in our ignorance we're still held accountable for our actions is the, the foundation of Peter's sermon. He says right there in Acts chapter 3, he says, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of the prophets that his Christ would suffer and thus be fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. This, this idea that there is no ignorance in bliss, or no, no there's no bliss in, in ignorance, and, and that you're guilty is the foundation of everything that we look at in chapter 3. It's the, the foundation for the preaching of Peter, for sure, but I'm going to also challenge you right now, it's going to be the foundation of what we see as the healing of this lame man. We can look at all of chapter 3 and we can say, well, there's definitely two vignettes here. We can separate it quite easily into the healing and to the preaching. And we can have two different sermons and, and have good sermons. But I, I want you to understand that this is one chapter. There's one thing going on here. And we need to understand it in that context. Now, what we're going to see throughout the book of Acts time and time and time again is a pattern before us. We're going to see a miracle performed that points towards a greater spiritual reality. We're going to see a wonder and amazement in the crowd as they see that miracle. Then we're going to see an explanation given of the miracle that points towards Christ. And then we're going to see the impact of the miracle and the explanation come together. So those four things, time and time again, the miracle... We have the reaction, the explanation, and then the coming together of the two and the impact upon the people. <coughs> now, I don't know when the last time it is you drove downtown Toronto. It was probably here today, but, but it, not everyone who's a street person is out. It, you don't have to drive very far to find someone looking for a handout down here, do you? But if you've ever visited South America, you know that they've really elevated... Uh, street begging to a, a lost art in, in some ways. Because within the Catholic Church, there is this whole system of meritous works. It, it, they don't believe that God is obliged to show them grace, but they do believe that it is fitting and right for a good God to reward His people if they're giving of alms to the poor. So everywhere you go, everyone is giving uh, uh, alms to the poor and they're trying to gain God's favor now when we lived in Chile I used to love getting on the bus when it was payday I would get a little stub I would go down to the money changers and he would do everything I needed but I always made it a half day trip and probably to Shauna's chagrin I was out for four hours but I would go downtown and I had this route I used to love to walk I'd go by the the the, the, the presidential palace and down through the the main park right by a major cathedral. 
I just love seeing the sights and the sounds. Well, on that walk, I always came across the same lady. She was crippled badly. And she always sat so awkwardly on the steps right out in front of this large cathedral. And, and she was so obvious that you couldn't go by her without noticing her. And you couldn't go into the church if you were a good, devout Catholic without actually, without actually stepping over her. And that was her spot. It was probably the best place in, in the center there because it, it was close to the main Plaza de Armas, the main park in the center of town, and it was right at the foot of this cathedral, so it, it always tugged at the heartstrings of any devout Catholic who was going by, and she always had her hand out. Every time I went downtown, I, I, know, or I knew that I would see her there. I, I never knew her story, but you could tell by looking at her that she had had a very hard life. She lived off of whatever people gave her. And everyone who went by knew her, especially those who went by on a daily basis. They knew who she was. This is the same situation we find ourselves in verses 1 through 10. The same picture presented to us. A man born lame. Everyone knows him. For years he sat outside of this gate, Nicanor, or called the Beautiful Gate, sitting under this enormous uh, gate that is elaborate, it's covered in brass, it's opulent. It, it, it is one of those things that seeing him there beside all of this opulent just would have been staggering. He's got the, best temp, uh, got the best place in the whole Temple Mount. He's outside of this rich gate begging for alms as people go into the temple to worship. There's two things to keep in the back of our mind about this lame man. First of all, he's been lame from birth. He's never walked. He's never ran. He's never jumped. He's always been carried everywhere. And secondly, because he was a cripple, he was never allowed to go beyond that gate into the inner courts to worship. We're also told that when Peter and John come upon him, it's the ninth hour. And it's a special time of prayer it's going to have even more significance in a little bit as we get farther down the story. But this was important. This was undoubtedly a very important time for the apostles. This is the time when Christ gave up his spirit and died at the third hour. So they would undoubtedly go and, and continue to remember in a very visceral way the sacrifice of Christ at that hour. There were undoubtedly hundreds of people going by. This was the most attended time of worship during the day. There was three main times, early morning, afternoon, and late afternoon. This is the late afternoon. And because it's a good time of the day, everyone went to this one. So he reaches out and he asks for alms from everyone. Now the last time you were on Spadina in your car, you got stopped at a street light and you see this gentleman walking up between the parked cars with his hand out, what was your first reaction? If you're like me, <laughs> I think everyone kind of puts their head down and looks everywhere but at them, right? Because you know when you lock eyes with them, it's going to be almost impossible to say no and to not do anything. And so we feel guilty. We do everything but look at them. Peter, on the other hand, does something amazing. 
undoubtedly moved by the Holy Spirit, he actually commands the man to look at them in the eyes. So they lock eyes there, and he says, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. This poor man knew he couldn't walk. He had never walked before. But when Peter took him by the hand and started to help him up, we're told that immediately, instantaneously, he was able to walk. It was a miracle. He, he not only was walking, but he was jumping up and down. He was running around. He was praising God. And everyone was astounded. He was so excited at being healed that he actually grabbed onto them and, and was hugging them for a while. And then we told, in his joy, he runs into the inner court, praising God and ready to worship. I'm, I'm sure he saw Peter and John coming and thought, here are some people that look like they have a little bit of money. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I try to get them. I'll put my hand out. I'll try to lock eyes with them. Great candidates, but little did he know that Peter was going to instantly heal him. Again, we can, we can separate this from the context in which Peter now preaches. But what we do see for sure here, and it'll come back again in a minute, it is a beautiful picture of compassion. The apostles didn't have anything to give, but what they did have, they gave. Because they had known the compassion of Christ, because they knew that their sins had forgive, been forgiven, they were able to show compassion to this lame man. We do not have the gift of miracles that the apostles did, but we can and must still show compassion to those who are in need. Because we have known the compassion of Christ, because we have known that the wrath of God for our sins has been taken away, and because we, we are in a right relationship of intimacy with God the Father, we can now show true godly compassion to others. Not a, out of a sense of obligation, not out of a sense of gaining favor or merit with God, but simply because of the overflow of joy that is our salvation. So compassion is one of our strongest motives for serving others. And as we share compassionately wherever we are in the name of Jesus, we minister to the soul of that person. Well, as I indicated earlier, miracles in the Bible were mighty acts of God. And they have a very specific purpose. They validated the truthfulness, the veracity of what was preached, what was spoken of concerning Christ, right? So that you have the Word of God with a visible demonstration that can only come from the power of God. In this case, the healing of the lame man portrays what salvation does. It preceded Peter's preaching, but that's important to understand because it's upon this wonder, it's upon this amazement that Peter... Peter Peter now stands forth and says, I'm going to tell you what's going on with this lame man. You've seen this. I'm going to explain it. I'm going to tell you who Jesus Christ is. So the miracle becomes a very powerful stage for a very powerful message. The healing acted as a visual display of the power of the gospel, the power to change lives. 
And it points to the spiritual truth that Jesus Christ transforms our lives. Here was a man, lame from birth, never knew how to walk. It, it wasn't simply that his muscles had atrophied. They had never developed. His, his, the joints of his ankles were never set in place. They were never in its socket so that he could never, ever stand up. And he was always joyless in his misery. He was condemned to live a life begging, never being able to worship with the rest of God's people. And yet, now, in the name of Jesus, this man can not only walk, he can jump, he can run, and he's able, most importantly, to go into the temple and worship God. Jesus takes broken, sinful people and makes them whole. And he gives them access directly to the Father. That, that's what this, this picture of this miracle is giving. More than the, the physical reality, it's pointing to the spiritual reality of the fullness of healing that is in Jesus Christ. <coughs> the miracle pointed to the truth that Jesus provides healing through the forgiveness of sins. And that the dawn of God's new age of redemption has already come. And in fact, it was the perfect miracle at this time because according to Isaiah 35, 6, in the day of the suffering servant, then the lame shall leap like deer. They understood these metaphors, these pictures from the Old Testament, but never understood how that could happen. And now before them, the power of God is being displayed. Now, I, I've taken a, a fair bit of time to explain everything that's going on so far, the miracle. It, it's a big section, but it's important to see it all together. And here, the, the crowds stand incredulously, looking around, not being able to understand. And that's why Peter seizes the opportunity to preach. I, I don't think, and Scripture doesn't indicate this in any way, Peter didn't go to the temple expecting to heal that man this morning, but as he came across him, the Holy Spirit prompted him, he healed them, and then with the crowd looking on, he says, this I'm going to preach. And, and the Spirit prompts him, so he seizes that opportunity. The crowd was looking at the apostles and looking at the lame man and thinking, well, it's got something to do with them. There's an innate power or ability in them. Uh, that miracle, Paul or Peter says, it's, it's not from us. It has nothing to do with my faith. It has nothing to do with my religiosity, nothing to do with my piety. It is Jesus, not us. And then he preaches his second powerful, fiery sermon in a matter of a couple days. In the first part of the sermon that ends in, we're witnesses that God has raised him from the dead. He is no longer dead. He's alive forevermore at the right hand of the Father. You want to know who did this miracle? It was Jesus. And this lame man is made whole because of his faith in Jesus Christ. A faith that, that absolves him and, and takes away his sin. This lame man is healed because Jesus is the author of life. Don't look at us. We've got no power in and of ourselves. This has got to be the power of God. And it fulfills all of the promises of the suffering servant. Jesus is the resurrected Lord. In the second part of the sermon, which ends in verse 26, he says, I know you didn't do what you did on purpose. 
you acted in ignorance. But you should have known the signs. Scripture was plain of what, who the suffering servant was supposed to be. And you should have seen Jesus and recognized him as the suffering servant. You should have known better. You're the sons of the covenant. You're the ones who look to all of these promises as covenant-keeping God and look forward to the coming of the Messiah. You have everything, and you ignored the truth. It was made plain to, in Scripture for you. Moses looked forward to it. All of the other prophets looked forward to it. You were ignorant because you ignored the plain teaching of the Word of God. But since Jesus is the Christ, and since God has raised him from the dead, look at the miracle before you proving all of this. You must repent of your sins. There's no other choice. And then he goes one step further, that, that one that, that we always crunch at ourselves, that we cringe at. If you don't repent, Scripture tells us that those who don't listen to him will be destroyed. There is an eternal damnation for not recognizing the truth, for ignoring the reality of who Jesus Christ is. Now, that's a pretty strong sermon, isn't it? Repent or be destroyed. But there's a special context here, isn't it, as well? He is preaching. He, he's a, he's a, a addressing the devout members of God's covenant community, Israel. And he's calling them to recognize what they should have already have known and have been looking for and should have seen in Christ himself. What Peter does is he seizes, he, he seizes the spirit-appointed opportunity to preach Christ, and he says, Jesus is the Son of God. You must listen to Him. Because if you don't, your sins will never be forgiven. And your ignorance will not save you. You see the connection to the beginning where I was talking about ignorance is bliss as we tend to think of these things? Ignorance is not bliss. We're still responsible for those consequences. Just because we don't comprehend what God has promised, just because they didn't comprehend, they still needed to recognize that Jesus was the Messiah, and they're still guilty of their ignorance and still guilty of sin before God. And if they don't receive Christ now in repentance, there's an eternal damnation waiting for them. They had sent the Christ to his death. They had rejected him, and they were under the judgment and wrath of God for it. No, they were not blissful in their ignorance. Now, just to heighten this all, to, to understand that there's a, a serious impact that we're kind of missing because we don't have that connection to the worship time. Of the, verse 1 says again what? It's the ninth hour. The ninth hour, as we know it again, is the time when Christ was crucified. So it was a special time for the apostles to, to go and meditate on his death. But something you probably didn't know, the ninth hour was a special time of prayer and sacrifice for the sins that Israel commits in ignorance. The sins that they commit during the day that they, they didn't know they had transgressed. So Every day at three in the afternoon, the faithful would come to the temple. The, the shofar, that, that horn, the ram's horn would be blown. The, the priest would come out in all of his finery. And the, 
he would go into the inner sanctuary and there would be a perfect lamb sacrificed for the sins of the people. Outside, the, sin, the people would be singing Psalm 66. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and the high, and the high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So this sacrifice at the third hour is called a sham. It is a, a sacrifice to atone for the sins that the people of God have done that day that they didn't know they had done. Sins of ignorance. Here, the holiness of God demands a sacrifice of sin even though they didn't know that they had sinned because we are sinful creatures. So while the fanfare is going on in the inner sanctuary, in the inner, in the inner courts, Peter's preaching Christ crucified. While the lamb is being sacrificed for the sins of ignorance for the people of God, Peter's outside saying, repent and receive the forgiveness of sins. While the people are outside singing and, and praising God and, and saying, we know that we're sinners and, and this time is wonderful. If we have cherished, uh, cherished sin in our heart, then, then we, we offer ourselves unto you in this sacrifice. And Peter's in, outside the court saying, forgiveness of sin is only possible in the name of Jesus Christ. So we have all of the religious fanfare going on inside and outside we have the preaching of the one perfect lamb who was sacrificed for sin, even the sins of ignorance. God has raised Christ from the dead. You see this man walking and running and jumping and praising God? He bears testimony. Repent, and your sins will be forgiven. Now, how does this all tie in with us today? Because, again, these are very specific redemptive events that are recorded for us in Acts that we can't reproduce. But there is spiritual truth that applies to us that we need to take with us as we go forth into the world. The lesson for us as we engage our culture today, it's a serious reminder that God has plainly revealed the identity of Christ to the world. He's done that by raising him from the dead. God never raised Confucius from the dead. He never raised Mohammed or Buddha or any other religious leader. And the Bible clearly reveals God raised Christ from the dead. It reveals clearly that he certified him as the only begotten son. It teaches clearly that he died in our place for our sin and that only by having faith in Jesus Christ for his work on the cross and taking away the, the, the wrath of God can we be saved. And yet people ignore the plain truth. We know that we're all sinners from birth. Romans 1 tells us that since the beginning of time, God's invisible qualities are clearly perceived in creation so that there is none with excuse. No one can ever say God did not reveal himself because the intricacy and beauty of creation alone demonstrates a holy God. For although we knew God, we did not honor God or honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but we became futile in our thinking and our foolish hearts were darkened. 
claiming to be wise became, became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. God has declared the truth of his glory in creation. And it's evident for all those to see, but people ignore it. God has displayed the veracity and the truth of Jesus Christ as his son in dying for sinners, and yet people ignore or deny the truth. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to the holiness of God. Because ignorance can never take away or negate the wrath of God for sin, can it? It, it, it can't even take us uh, away from uh, our culpability. Only faith in Jesus Christ can. Just like Peter, we need to engage our world around us. Our first connection, our first point is compassion. Knowing that these people are lame spiritually. They've never been able to walk in faith. They never will unless someone speaks the gospel to them. A, a compassion that says we understand because we were once like that and now we rejoice in the goodness of God. If we're honest with ourselves, we know and believe these truths. We look at our unsaved neighbors, our unsaved family members, and, and yet somehow we may have become blasé. They'll say, well, if God only proved himself today by showing a miracle, and I've had family members in, in my family say that. Oh, I'll believe when God does a miracle today. Well, he's done it all. It, it's been done. It's recorded. And there's the evidence. You need to deal with that. And they'll say, well, it doesn't really matter. I don't understand. In their ignorance, they, they don't see anything. And they don't feel the weight of eternity upon them. But I wonder sometimes how blasé we get about it. And we may have talked to them time and time again, and, and we know that they're good moral people. We know that they're good at heart. They love us. But is the fire of our conviction compelling us to seize every opportunity to show compassion? And with that compassion, preach Christ crucified. It is the ardor of our compassion, knowing what they're facing. It could be this afternoon, it could be a couple years from now. But if they do not receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, they will be judged in their ignorance. Again, we know that, but does it compel us to show compassion? To go back time and time again? To be like Peter, when they can't walk spiritually, and grab them by the hand and say, let me tell you about Christ and see the Holy Spirit do a miracle in bringing life. If you're here this morning and you've had a religious desire and you think that everything is okay, you're coming to church, and maybe you've been here a long time, you're even a member, but you've never been born again. You have never repented of your sin. And you think, everything's fine because I've got all my religious ducks in a row. And, and as long as I'm doing this, God is good. He's, he's a loving God. He'll receive me one day, right? You need to know that ignorance is not bliss. Repentance from sin is what we're called to. And as dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I, I pray that we come alongside you 
and encourage that compassionately. And again, I think this morning, I, I wonder how many of us are, are kind of blasé in our understanding. Yes, they think they're blissful in their ignorance, and we're okay with that right now because we don't sense the urgency that they're under. I pray that we would repent because we know greater than anyone the fire that's flicking at their toes. We know that at any moment Christ could call them and they have to face a Christless eternity. They'll stand before the judge of all time and they will be cast out. So again, I, I, as we engage with the world, it, it must first be out of compassion, knowing that these people are spiritually blind. But in their blindness, we need to love them. We show compassion and seize every opportunity to preach Christ because ignorance is not bliss. And you know what? Our message is simple. It's not complicated. We shouldn't be worrying about this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all we have to say. And we say it time and time and time again. And Scripture says, just a few verses on, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. That's how we engage the world around us from Acts chapter 3. It starts with a compassion, knowing that we are in Christ, knowing that we have been saved from our sin, knowing the, the, the spiritual connection, that, that vital relationship that we now enjoy with Christ, and seeing the spiritually lame from birth, those around us, and reaching out a hand and saying, let me tell you about Jesus. Our Heavenly Father, 